Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all of our Bible studies at naomistable.com. Now, here's today's lesson in the book of James with teacher Beth Seifert. Welcome back to our study in the book of James, ladies, and today we'll be in day five, and I've titled this lesson, Faithful Fruit Bearing. We're going to be in James chapter two, starting in verse 14 through verse 26. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter two, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So again, quick review, James started by encouraging the reader in their inclusion in the body of Christ to persevere in their suffering. He points them to God for all wisdom and encourages them to have faith in God, not doubting him. He reminds the reader that earthly status and circumstance is not where our hope is. Our hope is eternal, and knowing that, our focus should be on the things that are eternal as well. He warns them to make sure their faith is followed by real action practical evidence of God's work in their lives, and he then reminds them that, because of their common faith in Christ, there is no partiality in the body of Christ. We must show mercy and honor to all in the body, not just to those whom we want to impress on this earth. Now James continues with this relationship between faith and works. Before he gave practical examples of what works that are generated by true faith will look like care for the body, specifically for orphans and widows, respect to all regardless of their wealth or status, controlling their anger instead of being driven about by anger, and remembering that our tongues reflect our heart state and not just speaking to speak. Now James points back to their father in the faith, Abraham, 
to demonstrate that his instructions have a basis in the Old Covenant as well. He uses Rahab as well to demonstrate this principle that true, justifying faith given graciously by God will result in action that is evident for anyone who is watching. James starts with a negative example of a brother or sister being in need for the basic necessities. In this example, just recognizing the need is not enough. Treating this physical need with a solely spiritual response is inappropriate. No, he calls them to do good. Later in this letter in chapter 417, James summarizes this thought again and says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If we know that the right thing to do is to provide what we can for that brother or sister in Christ and we don't do it, we're sinning. Again, the focus right here is on the body. Our focus should always start with God's people and then spread out from there. If we're so focused on feeding the hungry at the soup kitchen that we don't feed the sister in Christ in her widowhood, we've missed the point. Start with God's people, show your brothers and sisters in Christ true love in action, and then go forth to show that love to the world as well. Faith without works, James tells us, is dead. Do you see how this makes sense? You cannot separate the two things. Faith and works go hand in hand, but Scripture makes it clear that it is by faith that we are justified. Now in Scripture, there are actually a couple of ways that justification, the word, is used. And we need to know that because this is at the heart of the lack of understanding about this passage. So let's talk about what justification is first in terms of salvation, and we'll go to Scripture to see this. The gospel is simple. We all, humanity, are fallen, sinful people. We are born sinners and we sin by choice as well. We are not good. We are not righteous in our own might and ability. We are rebels against the God who created us, and we all deserve his wrath and the pains of hell forever. That's what justice would be if we all got what we deserved. We would all be thrown into hell, and God would be right to do that. But God, being rich in mercy, at the right time, he sent his son to live the perfect life that we should live, but we can't because of our sin-tainted flesh, and to die on the cross, bearing the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of all people. All your sins were paid for at the cross, but only if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart will that payment be applied to you personally. The work is already done through Christ, and that work when you repent, that's how you are justified. Romans 3.21-26 says it this way, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Justification then is being declared righteous, even though we are guilty. We are still guilty. Don't misunderstand that. You are still a sinner by nature and by choice. But when you have been declared righteous, your sin is covered. Someone else paid that penalty. Think of it this way. If you stole a car and you got caught, you'd go before a judge and have to answer for what you'd done. You could say, yeah, judge, I did that, but I'm a good person and I promise never to do it again. The judge would likely say, that's nice, but you still have to deal with the crime. The crime still has to be dealt with. But what if someone stepped forward, someone who was innocent of the crime, and offered to pay for the car you stole? The judge has a choice. The theft has to be dealt with. Someone's car was taken, and that must be dealt with. But the judge has the choice to make you pay for it, or this other person. As long as the debt is paid, the judge can decide to let you go free. And that's exactly what has happened, only on so much larger of a scale that we simply can't fathom it. God is still just. Your sin has been paid for, but it wasn't paid for by you. You've been justified before God because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. So that's the first justification, justification that comes with salvation. That's a one-time act of God. The only thing you do in that whole process is, well, you brought your sin. Your sin made it necessary, so you contributed your sin to this. Ladies, you will never be more justified before God than you were on the day you confessed and repented and accepted that Christ is Lord of your life. That was a gift, freely given, an act done by God, a one-time act that you simply accept. But that's not where your life with Christ ends. You aren't justified and then beamed straight into heaven. You are still being sanctified in this life as you work with the Holy Spirit to kill the sin in your life. So back to James 2. Faith, James tells us, doesn't stand on its own once you have been given faith. If belief was enough, then the demons would all be saved. That verse is so important. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Ladies, the demons have much better theology than any of us. They know exactly who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who they are. And yet, that information does not bring them to repentance. That information causes them to fear and shudder. The demons believe Jesus is Lord, but they don't bend the knee to him. They hate him. I may agree that driving east from the Midwest won't get me to my destination of California. But if I don't turn the car around, it's obvious that I don't actually care that I'm going the wrong way. If there is no fruit, if there is no actual change in your life, you should really be examining yourself to be sure that you are actually saved. Your works should demonstrate the faith you profess. James gives us the example of Abraham, and here's where we need to dig in a bit. Here we have the word justification used again, but we really need to read this whole passage before we understand what's going on. James starts by saying that the work that Abraham did in offering up Isaac proved that he was justified. He says faith was active along with his works, and completed by his works. He clearly is demonstrating that faith and works are not separable in the life of a believer. Then he tells us this, and this is pretty important. He says, Scripture was fulfilled. So wait, back up. 
So Abraham offering Isaac up fulfilled scripture. So Isaac being offered up was later in a sequence of events. So what scripture was it that was being fulfilled? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the phrase. So where is that? Well, we have to look at that passage, ladies, and where it is may surprise you. So jump with me to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so timeline's important. If you continue reading this chapter in Genesis, you see that this is where God then makes the covenant with Abraham. He hasn't even changed his name yet here. He's still being called Abram. This is where God puts Abram into a deep sleep, and then God makes a covenant with himself to keep the promise he has made to Abraham. This is very, very early in Abraham's faith life, so to speak. And even before God makes this covenant, Abram believes God before the covenant, and that belief is credited to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham already believed God. Abraham trusted God. Not perfectly. We see that through his wanderings in the desert and some of the foolish choices he makes. But I think we can say that Abraham was saved at this point, when he's still being called Abram even. God saved him, set him apart for the role he had for him to play, and he was given the faith to believe, and that was credited to his account as righteousness. So what about Isaac? We'll jump to Genesis 22. We're not going to read that whole chapter, but you can take the time to read it for yourself. Now, Genesis 22 is when Abraham is offering up Isaac, the promised son, the son Abraham had waited for and trusted God for and knew was to be the way in which Abraham would have numerous descendants. Yet here, Abraham in faith goes forth in obedience to do what God has commanded. Abraham's actions here demonstrate that his faith was real. His actions do not create the faith that he had. They are an outflowing of the faith that was already there. Abraham, James tells us, was also called a friend of God. Again, this is more evidence of the faith that was within Abraham. This was not what saved him. Abraham's faith was true because it came from God, and because of that he was called a friend of God, which is honestly really cool when you think about it. So do you see the timeline there? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and scripture was fulfilled, seeing that he obeyed what God called him to do. That was the evidence that his faith was real. Then James jumps to Rahab as more evidence of what it looks like to have faith that is shown in your works and your actions. Rahab was a woman 
a prostitute from a pagan nation. And she's held high here as an example of living faith. So if you go to Joshua 2, you see Rahab's actions, and you may wonder what's going on here, but she explains why she's acting this way. She's rescuing the spies from the people of God who have come into Jericho. Here's what it says in Joshua 2, verses 8 through 13. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Rahab believed God was the only true God without having any way to express that belief in the pagan city of Jericho. She had heard of what God had done, and she knew he was the God of the heavens and the earth. She says that the whole city knew it too, but their belief was not saving faith. They knew God was God, but they were still working against him. Rahab's belief is shown to be saving faith because of her actions. She believed God was the God of heaven and earth, And she acted to bring him glory, to further God's goals, and to protect his people at great risk to herself and to her household. But she did it. And she is one of the women who is mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Again, what a great reminder to us all. Faith will generate works. If no works are generated, the faith professed is dead. Works do not save you. Go back and reread Romans 3 again. Works should be the evidence of the salvation God has given you, the necessary fruit of a changed heart. When we have been justified by God, we have been given true faith and there will be fruit in our lives. That fruit will show as we love God and our neighbors. Our works, if you will, vindicate our profession of faith. Saving faith, ladies, is a living faith. We are truly justified by faith alone, but true saving faith will never be alone. Ladies, once we understand this passage, we can see how impossible it is to divorce faith from works. But let me say this. The fruit in your life is going to look different than the fruit in the life of the person next to you. So please do not play the comparison game. Compare your life to the standard of Christ. Ladies, consider the examples that James gave us today. Consider Abraham, who, though he believed, was still human and still did sin. Consider Rahab, who would also be listed in the genealogy of Christ. True saving faith leads to works to honor and glorify God. Ask God to help you to examine yourself and ask him to help you to be bold in your faith to grow in your faith, and to help you to see the growth in your life. And praise God for the growth. 
How are you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior? How is that translated to the actions in your life? You may not have the means to go and clothe every widow and orphan, but you may have the means to bring a meal to a brother or sister in need. How are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit, in love for God's people, in love for His Word? How is that impacting your life? Is your faith evident in your life? Do those who are closest to you see God working in your life? How can you encourage others in their walk with God? Bring these questions to God today and ask Him to help you to see opportunities to live out your faith in your everyday life. Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com day 5 Faithful Fruit Bearing